Hello and welcome to Scran, the podcast passionate about Scottish food and drink. I'm your host, Rosalind Erskine, and this week we're partnering with Scotland Food and Drink and the Scottish Government and hearing from their ambassador, Bake Off winner Peter Sawkins. Peter, who was the youngest finalist and winner of the show, was an early winner of Star Baker thanks to his creative bakes, eye for detail and use of Scottish ingredients. That's something he's keen to promote, which is why he has joined forces with Scotland Food and Drink and the Scottish Government on their Scotland Brings So Much to the Table campaign. Peter joined me on a Zoom call to discuss baking from a young age, Scottish produce and why we should be using it in cooking at home and his plans for the future. Today I'm delighted to be joined by Bake Off winner Peter Sawkins. Known for his creative bakes that often use Scottish produce, Peter has recently joined Scotland Food and Drinks campaign titled Scotland Brings So Much to the Table. I'm intrigued to find out more. So hi Peter, how are you? Hi Rosalind, I'm really good, thanks. Thanks for having me on. That's okay, thanks for coming on. It's a, it's a great time of the, the day to get into some good food and drink chat. Just to get started, could you just tell me a little bit about the um, Scotland Brings So Much to the Table campaign and why it's so important to you and why you got involved? Yeah, I was I was asked to get involved in this campaign, and from hearing about it, I was really keen to get get involved with with what it's what it's doing and what it's all about. Um, it's just about kind of celebrating the depth and breadth of of Scottish produce and raising awareness of of how wide of a range we have um, of produce here in Scotland. You know, it's there's there's really interesting ingredients out there. There's a load of staples that you have every day, and sometimes people aren't that aware that you can go out and find this local great quality produce just in your regular daily shops. So it's about spreading that message and getting people to to look for local food in their in their shopping and and to engage with with the local produce that we have. And that was something that you you did in the bake off, wasn't it? You used Scottish ingredients like when you could and it wasn't probably every single time but probably when you could. Is that was was that kind of a conscious decision of yours or is it just because that's the way you would always be cooking and baking? Yeah, I think there was there were a couple of bakes that were obviously very focused towards Scotland. You know, I think in the f- the first three weeks, my first three showstoppers were quite Scottish inspired. I made Chris Hoy, then I did a burn supper biscuit thing, and then an Edinburgh skyline, and and those things incorporated Scottish elements in them because that's part of the whole story of the bake. When they turned up in other places, I think it, it's it was quite natural. There was no conscious decision really. It's sort of just what I've grown up with, what my mum did, what's comfortable for me and my style of baking. So I was just sharing my normal style and it happened to to contain quite a lot of Scottish things in it, I think. Was it your mum that got you into baking or, or how did your kind of journey into this whole thing start? Yeah, I, I started baking right from a very young age and just, just with my mum in the kitchen, we do really simple things, sort of a, a Friday afternoon activity, you know, shortbread, flapjack, little cupcakes, box cupcake mixes um, that we'd buy from the supermarket, as I think some people would be horrified to hear um, <laughs> that someone on Bake Off would do that. But just having fun in the kitchen with mum. And then sort of when I was about 12 years old, um, I got really into lots of food programming on, on the television, into Bake Off, MasterChef, Great British Menu, that sort of thing. Um, and got quite inspired to take it further myself. So it became a real hobby and I really got, fell in love with the process of baking and learning about baking. Um, so from then, I kind of just got a little bit obsessed with it and, and really took it, took it further. 
And I enjoy baking, but I find it quite relaxing. Do you find it relaxing or do you also enjoy the kind of technical side of, you know, how different ingredients will work together and create certain flavours? I still find baking really a relaxing thing to do. And I sometimes still need to force myself to to take the time out to to bake something because I know it's really good for me and it makes me feel, you know, relaxed and better. And But sometimes you think, oh, do I really have two hours to to go and make this cake on this day as as life is busy around? I, I do I do also enjoy the the kind of more technical side to baking and I always like to I quite enjoy I sometimes purposely fail on bakes to try and find why things go wrong and how how you can avoid them in the future I'm not particularly scientific in my methods but I I take on a, a slightly scientific methodology but don't go into the real chemistry behind the bakes and um, because I like to understand the techniques that I'm using as much as I as I can but it's more from an in- intuitive side rather than a chemical side, if that makes sense. Yeah. And just to, to kind of go back to Scotland and our larder, it's really diverse. You've, kind of, you've mentioned that. And it's more so than people think, because I think, I mean, I don't know whether this is a Scottish thing or whether it's the people looking into Scotland, you know, the whole deep fried Mars bar, you fry everything, it's really unhealthy. There are a lot of special Scottish ingredients. And do you have any that you really enjoy baking, cooking with? Is there, is there things that you come back to again and again from Scotland? Yeah, I mean, these these are probably not the most like out there wild exciting ones that no one would think of but my absolute favorites are i think berries have got to be number one especially raspberries like in any form of baking you can just when they're at their best in season you can just put them on anything and it's going to taste absolutely incredible you don't have to do anything with them and they're they're just the best thing and then oats make their way into a lot of things that i bake i i sort of toast them in some butter and sugar and that adds a lot of texture to any bake that I'm doing if I need to have a have a crunch in there for something soft. And that kind of makes its way in to a lot of places. And then and then there's other other things like um, if I think back to my gran always used to buy heather honey for us and she would she would get that. Um, and it's quite nice to to add honey into bakes as, as a bit of a substitute for sugar in some places where it works to, to change up the flavor profile and. There's a bit of a story behind it as well, which is quite nice to add into baking. Yeah. Heather honey is also brilliant in a in a whiskey old fashioned, by the way. I don't know if that's your drink, but <laughs> a balvenny with heather honey and some ice is really good. I should, I anyway. Try that. <laughs> I probably shouldn't be saying that because people are like, oh, single malt. But anyway, it's good. Yeah, so we've discussed you use some squash ingredients in your your bake-off bakes. Did you win any of your Bake Off contestants around Scottish ingredients that they'd maybe not used or sort of thought of before? I think uh, I made Cranachan at one point and a few few of them hadn't tried that before. And and they were quite quite keen on that once they tried it. Sort of Scottish eating mess <laughs> kind of thing. A bit of a boozy eating mess. Um, so so they, yeah, they, they enjoyed that. And then no one was really against any of the stuff that's in there. It's It's all delicious tasty stuff that I was using I, I think Lottie from the Bake Off was really keen on a whiskey as well uh she she liked a whiskey very much so we would have would have a drink um after after the big challenges yeah I can imagine you probably needed a drink after the big challenges <laughs> they were quite tiring <laughs> a little stressful at points yeah yeah and I always think as well like because it, you must be so intense for so so many days filming that to to finish you must think oh I'm so glad that's over and then just start again with the next one but yeah, you've mentioned on Instagram that your parents have a vegetable garden. Why do you think it's important to grow or source ingredients close to home? 
yeah, my, my dad has a has a veg patch, which he, he just loves gardening. So, so it's good fun for him. And it's quite nice to have a, a bit of a productive garden. So we get, I don't know, potatoes, red cabbages growing there now. Um, and it's nice to use that in our food. In terms of like the locality of food, we, we're focused a lot more on it now because um, we're thinking from the environmental side and we're going to the shops and we're, we're now we're looking at our packages all the time and seeing where it's come from. And we try to buy Scottish if we can, British if we, if we can, um, because we want to reduce the environmental impact of our food and, you know, buying seasonal produce that's coming from not just down the road. And we've got mushrooms from East Lothian. You know, that's not come nearly as far as if we're getting something else from, from Spain or uh, far afield. Um, so I think that's quite a, a conscious effort that we're trying to do for the environmental side. It's a big factor in that. And I suppose if you've grown up with a veg patch as well, you'll be more aware of what's in season when. So I think there's a lot of people, myself included, that you'll go out and because you can get things from all over the world now, you don't really have a good calendar in your head of when Scottish produce becomes in season. So it's kind of it's kind of good to know that from like, you know, your veg patch. Mm. There's there's actually a really great sort of Scottish food calendar um available online. I think you can get it through the on the table website. And it, and it's just got every month and kind of the best produce that's in season in Scotland in those months. So that's a really nice thing to have at your fingertips and um, to give you a bit of inspiration for what to cook with seasonal ingredients. Yeah, that's good. I'll check that out. We're not quite in spring yet and it is currently freezing. Um, so what's your favourite thing to bake on like a really cold winter's day? Yeah, I, I want something really a bit stodgy and very warming. Um, I'm a big fan of stodge. Um, so sticky toffee pudding is my all-time favourite pudding, I think. So that's a great one to to have in there, nice nice and warm, with ice cream and hot toffee sauce. That's just hits the spot. And then another one, my mum makes a really good crumble. So I'm thinking like an apple and pear crumble, some cinnamon in there, nice OT, OT crumble top, pretty thick crumble top as well. That's That sounds good to me. Yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> and uh, on the show, you had quite a lot of gluten-free bakes because your um, brother is gluten intolerant. Would you like to see a bit more inclusivity for gluten-free food? I mean, I know it's come on leaps and bounds in quite a you know, short space of time, but what would you like to see kind of more of? Does he struggle at all with it? Yeah, uh, it, was, it was quite interesting having done lots of gluten-free baking on the show. Like the response from people on social media was was really positive because they're not used to seeing it used in like a normal setting uh normally they'd see gluten-free bakes be done when there's a specific gluten-free challenge on a program or you know there's kind of a bit more of a big deal made about it whereas i was just making it alongside the normal stuff so i think people were really appreciative of that we've seen kind of the gluten-free scene if you can put it like that for 10 over 10 years now and, and like we've seen it improve so much in that time and it's it's so much more mainstream than it used to be and accessibility is better it's cheaper but you know there's there's always more that you can do and i hope that i'm having a little a little push in there to to show people that you can make some gluten-free bakes that stand up to to the normal ones and you can do it really easily so that people that need to do this can can see that they can still bake great things have good food with it but it's definitely getting better there's loads of resources out there now so it's it's not bad the way that you baked also shows 
maybe you know business owners cafes that don't have anything like that on their menu that they can quite easily add something you know people who are who, who are baking for you know their business because um yeah they are there but it's not as um maybe common as it as it should be um you've mentioned your your mum used to bake with your mum if since since the bake-off um if you kind of more of if you more of your family got involved with baking or is it, is it still just you and your mum if you kind of started like a little revolution <laughs> yeah, there was, uh, it's actually, there was a slightly strange occurrence in our house two weeks ago. It might be a bit harsh to, but my, my, my dad just woke up and started baking all day and he made brownies and <laughs> peanut butter cookies and a Victoria sandwich. And he, he never bakes. He never bakes at all. It's me and my mum. So that was a bit of a, an, an interesting occurrence in our house. Maybe, maybe he's caught the baking bug recently, but my mum's my mom's still baking and enjoying baking and I'm still baking. We, we might have got dad on side now as well. Yeah, sounds good. <laughs> you're still at uni as well, so if you're, are your uni friends and, and classmates been like, right, so where's all the baking? Like, are you bringing them in stuff or is it just, is it still like the way it was before? I think I should maybe be slightly grateful to lockdown in this sense that I'm not going to, to lots of classes, <laughs> not meeting of lots, of, lots of folk, because I feel like I may I may be sort of baking 24-7 with, with requests coming in. And if I'm going to a meeting somewhere, I think people might be expecting cake once we're back in back in um in face-to-face business i, I actually my, my uni flatmates that i live with they're they're great bakers as well and we we've, we've got a flat sourdough starter that we um we make i think there's probably about five or six loaves a week that are made in in our flat um so there's a lot of baking that goes on there it's good yeah it's so nice it's so much nicer than the uni halls i was in <laughs> i would have loved that yeah so anyway sorry so the applications for this year's Bake Off, I think, are still open. Would you do you have any tips and advice for anyone thinking of applying for the Bake Off? Yeah, it's. I think the main thing is to just enjoy the process and enjoy the baking. You're, if you're wanting to go and Bake Off, it's because you love baking. So just kind of lean into that and have fun with it. The entire process from application to the end is is so much fun, and you meet great people that also just love to bake. So, so kind of just, just focus on that, bake the things that you love and show your own personal baking style. And, and I think that's the best way to do it is not, not to think about everything around the show, but just to think about the baking. And that makes it so much fun as well. And did you, did you already know? So one of the things I always, it always strikes me is people know what they're doing. So they know the different types of sponges and they know the different types of decorations and like, the, you know, that kind of aspect. It's, it's a little bit more than just like a hobby home baker. Is that kind of the person they are looking for? Someone who already knows, or do you? Did you feel like you got accepted in, and then you had to kind of read up on certain things? So, I, yeah, I've been a little obsessed with baking for for a number of years. So, I think for for a twenty year old amateur baker, I probably have I have a pretty good catalogue of knowledge in my head for for different styles of baking, and it's definitely useful. You know, a technical challenge is is really helped if you understand what they're what they're looking for. But also I've, I've learned so much through the process um, because I, I was learning from the judges. I was learning from the other bakers who are really experienced and, and bring different ideas to the tent. So there's, there's a broad range of ability that you can be to, to get in the process. You're going to develop through the process. But also if you're coming in with a great head of knowledge already, that's going to probably help you out a little bit. And um, it's just recently been announced that you're going to be bringing our cookbook. So what can people expect from that? And will there be a focus on Scottish ingredients in there? Yeah, I'm very excited for this. It's kind of a bit nuts that I'm 
bring out a cookbook. But it's it's going to be a completely sweet book, so all about sweet baking. There's going to be gluten-free. It's not a gluten-free cookbook, but there's going to be amendments that you can make it gluten-free for virtually all the recipes, and, and that's a real focus that I want to do. And hopefully that's also going to show how easy it is to make to change recipes, to make it gluten-free, make it accessible for those friends and family that you're baking for that need that. Yeah, and, and it's just kind of all about what I love to bake and what I love to, to, to cook and, and feed to, to my friends and family. So there's going to be a lot of simple recipes that is just creates a great result. And then also a few more challenging yet achievable bakes in there, I think, and quite a focus on, on the baking techniques that help you to, to reach those end results that are really, really good for the challenging bakes. And, and Scotland pops up in it a fair bit. Um, there might be a little shout out to Cranachan and, and a few other things in there. Sounds good. And that should be out, is it October this year? Yeah, it's out in October. Yeah, nice. What are your, your future plans? I mean, you're, you're still at uni and you've won the Bake Off and you've got this going on with Scotland Food and Drink, but what, what do you see? Do you know, like, where do you see yourself in five years? Like, what, what are your plans for the future, basically? Yeah, I think I, I'm kind of thinking in the immediate term and I've got, I've got the book going on and I've got university going on. And then there's there's lots of opportunities popping up around it. So I'm just going to kind of keep working hard at this stuff and and keep having fun with it and see where I go. And yeah, it, it's kind of hard to tell where, where it's all going to pan out, but I'm just keeping up my university, keeping up this baking stuff and, and having fun with it. As long as I have fun with it and keep working hard, I think it's all going it, to, it's an exciting ride. So I'm just going to, yeah, enjoy it along the way. Nice. Where can we find out more about Scotland brings so much to the table? Is it all on the Scotland Food and Drink website? Yeah, yeah. So you can find out about it on onthetable.scot and you can also follow Scotland Food and Drink on Instagram and I think they might have a, a Twitter as well. What we have on the sort of end of the podcast is um, it's called My Life and Food. It's five quick fire questions. So if you could just tell me the first thing that comes into your head, if that's okay. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Sounds yeah. good. <laughs> okay, so... <laughs> Whenever I'm hungry, I think of oh porridge. Comfort food for me is oh stew. My favourite childhood dessert is sticky toffee pudding. My food heaven is oh a souffle. Yeah, and my food hell is macaroni cheese. Ooh, yeah, I know people don't like it. I'm, I'm not a cheese guy. Oh, that's yeah. No, I used to, I worked with a girl who doesn't like cheese, and people were obsessed with asking her about it. Yeah, I think I said it on the show once and there was, um, it was the most Twitter uproar I think I've received throughout the whole series. <laughs> I need to, I think I need to learn to like it. I think I'll, I'll be able to learn and develop my taste to, to get there. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, it's fine if you, do, if you don't, but yeah, I, yeah. I say I know what you mean. I don't, I love cheese, but, <laughs> but it's fine. Okay, well, thank you very much, Peter. That was um, a really interesting chat. It's uh, nice to see and speak to you um, and find out more about Scotland brings so much to the table as well as your book and you've inspired me to do some home baking at the weekend. So thank you very much. Thanks for having me on. It's been great. Thanks to Peter for his time. It was really nice to chat to him about his experience on the Bake Off, which is a show I absolutely love, and to see his passion for Scottish produce. It shows there's so much breadth and depth when it comes to what we produce here in Scotland and it's great to know how to cook using seasonal ingredients at home. I also caught up with Chef Barry Bryson to talk about what's in season now and the importance of eating seasonally. We also chatted his favourite lockdown meals and who his dream dinner party guests would be. Today I'm joined by Chef Barry Bryson, who's the owner of Cater Edinburgh. Hi Barry. Hi, good morning, how are you? Fine, how are you? Yeah, I'm doing well, thank you, very well. 
Nice to see you again. So you are um, a private chef as well as having your catering company. So can you tell me a bit about your, your role as a private chef? I mean, it's very much a broad field that I cook in. I work across two sectors, private chefing and events, as you've just mentioned. I have to say, as one is usually quite busy, the other one takes a step back and then they kind of swap over. At the moment, I'd say, obviously, we're in this ongoing, very complicated situation for hospitality and events aren't happening. And have I been private chefing when I'm allowed in the last year? Absolutely. It is all-encompassing. I will cook for a client or clients or sometimes a lot of clients in uh, unique and beautiful spaces and sometimes less unique and less beautiful spaces. So it's not always the same job doing the same thing. Like most people, I get a brief. I read the brief. If I feel it's within the remit in terms of things that I'd like to explore and do, then we go ahead and do it. And that can be anything from corporate to, as you say, um, yes, very fortunately, every now and again, some nice, well-known people, but everyone's a client. It doesn't change the job. And if you found over your working life that people are maybe asking a bit more now where their food comes from, is, is there more of like a focus on provenance with your clients and customers? I think so. I mean, maybe it is because I start the conversation. If I'm honest with you, it's pretty much there from when you begin the conversation with me about, you know, what it is you might like. I would very much hope that when you engage with with me and that you were going to ask me to cook for you that you already know that's going to play a key part in the conversations we have so yes it does but one thing that I find enormously cheerful and uplifting all the time is how much people also genuinely want to talk about it it's not like just a tick box exercise people are genuinely interested and yes that's grown don't want to be too political but Brexit's happened lockdown has happened and people are trying to shop a bit more locally what's in season in Scotland so what what should we be looking out for in shops within the seasons within Scotland so that we're not buying things that are being brought in yeah I mean it's it's a good time to ask the question because I think well firstly again slightly steer off politics the ramifications of Brexit are still unknown you know the idea of this being evident at the moment isn't correct the ramifications will present themselves over the course of a year. So what I'm about to say might change, but let's just keep it based on my understanding currently. But do I think Brexit will have a big impact? Absolutely, I do. Worryingly on standards, but primarily on where we source things from. But in terms of, you know, where we're at at the moment, the season at the moment is called the hungry gap, you know, because I think a lot of people think that the really lean bit of growing is actually over the deepest, darkest bits of winter. That's not actually the case. We're awash with produce in December and January. It's now that actually that produce starts to run a little bit low. And I think technically the term hunger gap's often been used. There's some brilliant things to eat at the moment. There's just less of them. And there's lots of great things to eat at the moment, but there's just less maybe variety or less uh, produce available. So can I get great shellfish at the moment? Yes, but do I need to be careful about talking with the fishmonger about whether or not I can get it that week? Because it's variable, but it's still available. So can you eat really well at this time of year? Absolutely. Um, you know, I think that in terms of what's in season at the moment, you know, there's lots of really cool stuff happening at the moment. There's lots of cool veg. You know, you'll have seen on everyone's social media that everyone goes wild garlic foraging at this time of year. Some of the basic stuff that we eat all year round is still very much readily available. 
Always look at the label when you go to a supermarket. Always try and cut down the air miles as much as possible. Controversially, that sometimes means paying more. So it's this balancing act, isn't it, between your brain and your budget. And uh, I'm not going to tell people what to do because there's been times in my life where I have to go with the budget and other times in my life where I'm using my ethos a lot more. Luckily for me with work, it's all about ethos because ultimately I have to explain to my clients, this is what the produce costs. Yeah, that's good advice. Um, how do you weave the Scottish produce into your cooking? Is it something that features in every single dish or uh, you know, how do you kind of set up your menu to have it there? It's pretty intrinsic, I have to be honest with you. I'm not one of those chefs who constantly reaches for all parts of the, the food chain to create menus. It actually doesn't really interest me. I'm quite repetitive a lot of the time with the dishes I'm doing. I often look back on a, whatever food journal I keep and go, God, you did that dish exactly that week last year. That doesn't bother me so much because ultimately... I am about finding out what well, the best thing I can get hold of in Scotland to cook, and Scotland has a calendar. So it is obviously going to be cyclical how I work. So it's second nature to me to want to use as much of that produce and write those menus. I personally don't like not knowing where things are from, and I'm 100% happier with the produce when I know it hasn't travelled to me. So it's essential. And how do the different regions of Scotland vary by produce? And is there anything that comes from an area of Scotland that some people might not know or be quite surprised at? I suppose we're, we're very fortunate in Scotland. You know, we are a land of land and sea. You know, it's quite interesting when you just don't try to ask yourself that question. So you find out how much you actually know. So my point is, you know, when you're driving around Scotland and you're heading through Forfar, let's do Forfar as an example. Yeah, you're going to see a lot of fields. You're going to see a lot of growing. And then you automatically know that this is a growing part of soil and, and farming within Scotland. And then there's loads of other places up north is fascinating because it's kind of become a mecca for small Scottish artisan producers. And all the, I mean, I could list loads, you know loads of them. Um, and obviously, as we head towards the seaside, I'm a big fan of, you know, whenever I'm driving down the A1, I always find it really hard to not stop off a couple of places and sit by the harbour and get a crab roll or something like that, because you kind of know that it hasn't travelled very far to get there. It's been landed there, you know. So I suppose, you know, when we're all allowed to go out and about driving again, just use your ears and eyes. East Lothian's actually brilliant. There's lots of cool things going on in East Lothian. You don't have to go far to discover really excellent produce in Scotland. But it is actually as exactly as you'd imagine. If you're near the water, think about what might be coming out of it if you're inland and cattle and farming. And then also look at the brilliant Scotland food and drink seasonality calendar because it's really, really, really easy. It basically just gives you a tab you can click on that tells you in April what you should be doing. And it's that simple. Tie all these things together and you have no miles and eat seasonally. Yes, and you can go on a road trip as well, which is yeah, exactly. amazing. <laughs> and, and, and your electric car. Yeah. <laughs> so what have you been cooking during lockdown? Have you come up with like a favourite dish? Talk us through a lockdown dinner that we could create using in-season Scottish produce. The last few weeks, I'm actually semi-resting at the moment because I've got a recurring arm issue. Yeah, so I've been, told, I've been told I can't go my usual hammer and tongs. I am a bit, I'm like most people, entrepreneurial chefs, as I'm a bit of a grafter and I find it quite hard to stop. In lockdown, I've done quite a lot of different services. The thing I've concentrated on this year has been a collect service because 
I think like a lot of chefs, I got to the point where I was going mad putting cold food in boxes. No matter how nice the food is, no matter how much love you've put into it, you were still having to give people essentially cold food. So I really enjoyed the collect service whereby I create a kind of short menu based on, I would call it weekend favourites. So, I mean, for me, I've been rediscovering stuff I haven't cooked for years talking with other chefs about other dishes, been cooking a lot of cool things that I sometimes enjoy, like tagines, and I've been making steak tartars and everything from humble fish cakes to more interesting stuff. But I've been lucky. I've been cooking a fairly broad menu in the last couple of months that people have been arriving to collect. My personal thing, because of where we're at this time of year, my sort of ideal lockdown dinner would be, okay, if I was going to make this for myself tonight, I'd probably start off with finding whatever shellfish I could get. Um, so I'd speak to my fishmonger. I'd maybe beg Guy Grieve to give me some scallops or something. And then what I'd probably do is I'd get some roe deer. Venison is optimum at the moment. Roe deer is optimum. I'd do a tartare with a dice fillet of roe deer and then mix it all through and get some really good quality local organic egg. And I would make uh, homemade chips and I would sit at home with venison, tartare and chips, and I'd be a very happy man. Nice, sounds good. And and quite posh, but without being posh. The great thing about tartars and ceviches is that you can use trimmings of premium cuts. So it sounds like you're spending 15 quid on your dinner. You're actually not. You know, a little bit goes a long way in these dishes because they're bulked out with so much other stuff that you're getting a little taste of luxury without necessarily the same price tag as having, you know, a 200 gram loin of venison on your plate. And venison and roe deer, is that quite specialist? Like, could you get that from my butcher? Absolutely. Do you know, I always say this to people because I think it's important to remember, you know, your butcher will get you what you ask for. So obviously we're in this state of mind of going, oh, I went into the shop, but they didn't have it, right? Just put the number for your local butcher in your phone. That's as simple as that. Phone them up and say, any chance I can get this, I guarantee you they want to get you good quality produce. And it doesn't have to be premium. You know, Scotland isn't just about scallops and, and venison. I've mentioned them now. It's also about astonishingly great quality, uh, lower cost items for me. I'll talk about it as much as you like. The humble mackerel for me is by far one of Scotland's greatest uh, thing. I can eat mackerel all day long and it doesn't cost very much. But talk to your fishmonger, talk to your butcher and they'll get you what you need. Yeah, I've started trying to eat mackerel, but I, I get really freaked out by the bones. I need to try and get, get over that a little bit because I find it quite bony, like lots of wee bones all over the place. There is, but, you know, what, you know, do what, do what I'd advise everyone to do is watch a little video, make the wee V cut and you can make a small incision and most of those will come out. But remember that the soft bones, the tiny wee soft bones, they're pretty edible. They're not going to do you any harm. So eat them. Okay. <laughs> I'll just think of you shouting that. Hey, no, next time I oh, no waste. Even, even a bonus waste. No, I'm joking. Um, but the, uh, yeah, I mean, but things like that, you know, so talking to the people that you buy your food off, I can't give anyone greater advice than that. Talk to the people, even if it's the supermarket, where, you know, talk to them. That's what they're there for. Yeah. And what's your favourite piece of Scottish produce, produce to cook with? Obviously, it depends on the time of year, doesn't it? You know, it's very hard for me to imagine either cooking without fish or not having it in my diet. And I obviously eat everything. I am a hungry kid, so there's very little that people will put in front of me that I don't particularly like. So when I think about 
my favourite thing to cook with. It has to be from the water. It has to be seafood, ultimately. And that, they have a season as well, don't they? Which I don't know if many people would necessarily yeah. know fish have seasons. Absolutely. I mean, you know, there are certain things that are premium at any other time of the year. Not everything is always landed. Not everything is always readily available. But again, going back to the, the Scotland food and drink calendar, what I also like about that is that it tells you when something's optimum or whether it's just available or whether there's limited or whether it's slightly reduced quality. And that can also apply to fish and shellfish. So use the everyone's got a smartphone. Use your phone. Have a look. Um, the Scotland Food and Drink calendar is two, two clicks away from this information wherever you are. And what would you say is the most underappreciated item in the Scottish larder? Oh, do you know what? I get, well, there's two things. I'm constantly told I put too much beetroot in everything and I have a... I have a phenomenal obsession with beetroot. Um, I am so. I mean, I probably have to say I think it's underappreciated because people often say, "God, you use a lot of beetroot," but I love it. And secondly, yeah, there's, there's certain fish, certain things like that. But also, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean I think they're underappreciated. I just wish they were used more. Does that make sense? Fillet beef's great. I mentioned I like venison loin and scallops. There's so much other. There's so much broader stuff out there. Um, so again, it just goes back to um, maybe taking a look. Do I think trout is a 50 times more interesting and a versatile fish to cook with and use than salmon? Absolutely. Sea trout for me versus salmon. That's underappreciated. Just to kind of uh, get back to the whole post-lockdown, which is hopefully coming soon, what's the first restaurant you'll go to when the lockdown lifts? Oh, do you know, it's so hard. I can't answer the question without acknowledging my favourite restaurant, which won't be reopening after lockdown, which is Luafu on 4th Street. Sorry to be a sorry to be a bit of a misery, but for me, it's a massive loss to the Edinburgh dining scene, but also to Scotland because of the way Jerome cooked. So that's the miserable answer. The positive answer would be anywhere that Dan Ashmore is cooking, I will want to go and eat. Because, <laughs> because his food genuinely is, is very motivating for me and his cooking and his ethos is brilliant. But locally to my doorstep, the Scargo Bleu are phenomenal. Fjord, I live near some great restaurants. I'm probably going to try and eat in every single one of them over a week, which isn't, <laughs> which isn't going to help with that whole losing your lockdown belly thing. But, you know, well, let's do it in order. Yeah. And uh, just the last kind of fun question. If you could invite three people to a dinner party, whether they're alive or dead, who would they be and why? Oh, my God. Okay, this is a really good one. But I'll try and keep it pacey, but I'd have to think. Three people, well, I mean, I'm going to get a massive row if I don't invite my husband, but also because I really like eating with him and we talk about food. So I can only have the dinner party of my dreams if we're going to talk about food, you know? And obviously other things as well. So let's maybe go with Robin. Let's go with Nigel Slater. And let's go with Fiona Burrell from the Cook School because I could listen to her talk about her career all day long. Nice. That's good. Thank you very much. I think that's probably everything. Thank you for your time. And it's been great to chat and find out more Thank about you. seasonal produce. Um, and yeah, hopefully we'll, we'll be able to see, see you soon and get some food and be amongst people. I hope so. Also, thanks to you for listening to this episode of Scran. And thanks to Scotland Food and Drink and the Scottish Government for partnering with us on this episode. 
Like any foodie, I love a review, so please let us know what you think of the podcast by subscribing and rating us. Scran is a Laudable production that's co-produced by me, Roslyn Derskin, and produced, edited and mixed by Morvan McIntyre. <laughs>